welcome to the worship service at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Hayward, California, a multicultural church in the San Francisco East Bay that worships on the Seventh-day Sabbath, Saturday. The ministry of the word by Pastor Paul Penno is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to forgive sin and save from sin by his cross and ministry as priest in the heavenly sanctuary the third angel's message in verity. Join us now as the service is in progress. It's a privilege to be able to welcome Renee and Alvy Quisp to our worship service today. And the subject that they're addressing, learning to love and family relationships, is a very important one. And it puts us uh, exactly in a humble spirit, we need to learn. We want to be in the school of Christ. Welcome. Thank you, Pastor. The subject we are trying to share with you tonight, last night and today is learning to love. We are told, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone who loves is is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So, uh, this morning the subject will be, Lord, what do you want me to do? And uh, later on in the afternoon at 2 o'clock, we are going to be talking about Victory in Christ. We'll share our own personal story. How the Lord was leading us to restore the brokenness that Satan has caused in our family and in our home, in our lives. And uh, certainly as we enter right now into the subject, Lord, what do you want me to do? Sometimes I find useful to just focus on on some of the problems we all face. And I have found that uh, if we mix a little bit of humor with that, it can be helpful. Um, just think for a moment. What I'm going to show you now is a woman at 2 o'clock in the morning. She's in bed with her husband. She's shaking him up. He's asleep. And she says... Listen, the Bible says we cannot go to bed angry, so get up and fight. I mean, we laugh, but the truth is that there are so many situations in our lives where we do not really experience the love of God. We allow our own selfish emotions, our senses to govern us, to lead us to say and do things that are totally contrary to God's will. And the Bible is very clear about the kind of love God wants us to experience. And if we do not experience that love, we're in trouble. At least that's what I find when I read in in 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak in the language of men and angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass and clinging cymbal. So we can speak pretty well, but if whatever we say is not clothed in the love of God. It really means nothing. And then we also find that the next two verses, Paul talks about things that have to do with 
the church with the Christian life. And still, no matter how significant they are, they really mean nothing unless there is love mixed with that. Paul says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love. How does he finish? I am nothing. And in the next one, he goes to an extreme, we could say, because he says, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. And then he goes on to describe love. And the first thing he says is, love suffers long. And I wonder how many of you like to suffer. Anybody who gets up in the morning and says, I want to suffer all day today. We don't, because it's not normal for humans to want to love. But the fact that we escape suffering, uh, we, it's not normal for humans to, try to, to want to suffer. So the fact that we escape suffering helps, makes it very difficult for us to learn to love. Because in order to learn to love, we need to be willing to suffer what Christ allows in our lives. So he goes on to say, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. It does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. And the very next sentence to me is the core of the meaning of true love. It does not seek its own. Totally contrary to selfish love. Last night we talked about selfish love. Self-seeking love. It's contrary to the love that seeks not its own. It's not provoke, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. And then he goes on to close saying, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then it, the, the last beautiful phrase that closes this section when he says, love never fails because God is love and God never fails. And if he is in our hearts, our love will not fail. But we need to learn that. And there's not a person that graduates in this class, okay? So if we are alive, we keep on learning how to love the way Jesus wants us to love. And how beautiful that he allows us to do that because what he said is really impossible for human beings. Can you picture Jesus talking to the Jews who were looking at the soldiers around them, the Roman soldiers, and Jesus says to them, love your enemies. Can you picture what goes on in the mind of these Jews? So in case that they didn't understand what he was really meaning, he says, bless those that curse you. Now, can you do that? Let me ask you that question. Can you really Love your enemies. I imagine if your enemy lives far away, you can love him. But stay far away. Don't come close. Because that's the way we are. Human beings are like that. We protect ourselves. We separate, disconnect. We build our own little castle. We don't know how to love our enemies. We know very easily how to hate them. And he says, just in case it's not clear, bless those that curse you. It's not clear in your mind yet? I may say one more thing. Do good to those that 
hate you. Do something good for them. And it's not clear yet? Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Why is Jesus saying that when he knew that we could not do that on our own? He knew that. Well, he's saying that because he wants us to be aware of a great need that we have. We need God in us to be able to love that way. It's not just intellectual knowledge. Intellectual knowledge has its place. We need to understand the truth with our reasoning. But all that knowledge needs to come right into our hearts through the influence of the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit the one that brings into our lives the ability to love in a way that honors God. So Jesus says, in just a little farther down, he says, verse 46, he says, For if you love those who love you, those who treat you nice, those who bring presents to you, hug you, kiss you, and tell you all kinds of nice things, you know, anybody can do that. Just look around you. Anybody can do that. Jesus says that the tax, tax collectors, the publicans can do that. Today we would say Hollywood can do, can do that. Even atheists can do that. Love those that love you. There's nothing strange, nothing new in loving those that love you. But he wants us to be different. That's why he's asking us to do what is impossible for the human race unless God is in our hearts. And that's the best evidence that God is present. That's why Jesus made this a commandment. He says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. It's a new commandment. And he repeated this more than one time. And he made it so clear. He said that um, uh, the world would know. By this we'll all know that you are my disciples. Remember that passage? By these we'll all know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. My dear, my dear ones, I have been in churches. I actually go to churches that are Adventist and non-Adventist. And I have seen all kinds of churches. I've seen some churches that, where you, you step at the parking lot and you sense the love of that church. It's amazing. And usually those churches are filled because it's the love of God through his people that testifies to the world that this is real. This is different. And I think that we need to keep on learning that. I have not arrived, and I'm sure that you have not arrived. That's why it's so important for us to learn how to love as Jesus loves. And when we enter into this kind of a love, we'll find that there is a big enemy that will try to fight against us in many different ways because our fight is not against flesh and blood but, but against Satan himself. I met Alvi, my wife, in Argentina. I was born there and uh, I studied in our college in that time. Now it's a university. And uh, specifically, this is the entrance to the college today. Um, it's, today is a very large university, almost 4,000 students, a very, very strong medical school. And um, at that time, there was no medical school. There was, uh, there was nursing school. But they were separated from the college. So 
I had no idea who were the nurses that were studying there. I had this other section in the university, and um, Alvi was studying in, in this section of the, of the university, the hospital. And, um, of course, I was working. Uh, part of my work in the university was to take care of the auditorium lights and sound systems and things like that. And um, it was not this one. This is a new one now. It's a very large one, but uh, in those days it was much smaller. And I was on my little room there because the nurses had a program in our auditorium. So I was taking care of the, the lights and the sound system, and um, the program had not started yet. There were some people inside, and then suddenly I see this nurse coming into the little room, and she says, hey, the girl that is playing the organ wants you to turn the pages for her. And I look at her and say, I don't even read music. What do you want me to do? And she says, I don't know. You tell her. So she left. And I go to the platform, and I see this uh, nurse playing the organ. And I touch her shoulder, and I say, hey, I don't know how to read music. I cannot do that. She turns around. She smiles at me. And I can assure you I've never seen a smile like that in my life. And she says, don't worry. I'll tell you when to turn it. I couldn't say no. So I did that. And when I finished turning the pages, when the program started, of course, she had to play really fast, and, and uh, I helped her, and when I finished that, I went to my little room, I was setting up everything so I could go and study, and, uh, and then this nurse comes into the little room, and I say, what are you doing? And she said, can I wait until the f program finished? I need to play again. And she, I said, sure, you can sit down here, and I said, I don't need to go and study, I'll just stay here <laughs> and talk with her. So we visit for about an hour and a half. And I can assure you that was the night that I fell in love with Alvi. I had been praying to God that God would lead me to the right woman because I was, uh, you know, I was thinking already that I need to find a girlfriend. Eventually I wanted to get married. And uh, I was so thankful that I met her because it was just amazing the way we related. Now, there was a problem. The moment we became sort of steady, you know, the university had a, uh, 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 some rules and regulations that in those days, you know, 1960s, that were very strict. The moment you were serious with each other, they said you can only see each other and talk to each other at a professor's house once every two weeks under supervision. <laughs> that was awful. I, I couldn't take that. So I thought, what can I do? I mean, the separation between the college and the hospital you know, I, I could jump over the fence and, and go there and risk, you know, but it was risky. They could throw me out of the school. So I said, I'm not going to do this. I probably did it one or twice. But uh, maybe a few more, Alvi says. But eventually I said, hey, I cannot keep on doing this. This is not good. Uh, what do I do? And I said, uh, well, I'm not sick. What do I do to get into the hospital? And I decided to have surgery. But I said, what kind of a surgery could I have? Because if it's a small one, I just go in and out. It has to be a big one. And I decided to have an appendectomy. Now, you, you think that was crazy, and probably it was. But the thing is that in those days, the school, the, the, the hospital was offering to those who were planning to be missionaries in the Amazon River, you see, a free appendectomy, preventive. 
Because if you go to work at the Amazon River and you are out in the, you know, up river and down river for three, four, five months and you have a problem with your appendix, you die. So they did that for those that were planning on going to the Amazon River. So I signed up even though I was not thinking about going yet. I said, maybe I'll go. But uh, I signed up and I, I had my surgery. And I spent five days in the hospital and my... Uh, and Alvi was many times taking care of me as a nurse, of course. And some people say, wow, how romantic. But if you were here last night, I want to ask you a question. What kind of a love was that one? Was it a selfish love or self-giving love? Selfish, right? You see, when we are young, we don't really understand the difference between selfish love and self-giving love. We just live according to our impulses. And that is basically selfish love. You know, actually, she almost was thrown out of the school because of me. Because when I felt a little better, one day I remember I, I got some chocolates, you know, and I put a, a chocolate in my mouth, you know, and there was a little piece outside of my mouth. And when she came by with a medication for the patients, I called her and she came and said, take your little piece. And she took it and I brought her into the room, closed the door, we were kissing. A doctor comes to see the other patient. And they reported her and it was, it was, it was difficult, it was very tough. So you realize that when we are young, we don't understand what is the true love of God, led by the Spirit of God. And, uh, of course, in, in those days, well, eventually we got married. And uh, to me, there was not, nobody in the whole universe that was prettier than my, than my wife. She was my queen. She was everything to me. She was, oh, she was so precious, and I wanted to make her happy, and, you know, you were, you were there. And uh, time went by, and I remember a um, few months later, I don't know, one day my sweet, my sweet wife talked to me with a bossy tone of voice. You know, um, you realize, those that know Alvi, and you'll know her in a few moments, uh, we both have very strong personalities, but we are very different. And I didn't like when she talked to me like that. I didn't say anything at the moment, but I kept it in my head, you know. And I began realizing that there were little things here and there that she did in a way that I did not really like. And I would keep those things in my mind. And the more I kept those things in my mind, this delightful, beautiful woman began to be transformed. And she was not exactly the same anymore. She was becoming a different person. Now, that's not Alvi, okay? <laughs> By the way, if you want to see a picture of Alvi, well, the, the week that we got married, okay? This is the week that we got married, okay? That's Alvi. And, of course, this picture teaches us a big lesson. And this, listen to the lesson. This is a very it's a spiritual lesson. When we concentrate on what we do not like about other people, even the nicest people will turn how? Will turn ugly. That's right. And this is a spiritual law that it, it always works. If you concentrate on what you don't like of other people, no matter who the person is, it will become ugly. And yeah, for you, of course. And this is how Satan destroys relationships. And Satan wants to destroy relationships because that's the way he weakens the power of the gospel. 
when in a church families are all fractured because of relationships that are not going well, there is no power. The power is not in the building. The power is in the people. And unless we are moved by the love of God, there is no power. Now, if we are united in the love of God, we feel a body. We care for each other. God can work through that body and bring many more to his fold. That's why we have to be so aware of how Satan works because we, need, we are responsible to close the door to those ways in which Satan is destroying homes. And he uses many things, but particularly, I want you to remember these three, okay? This is the most common ways in which Satan destroys relationships. Here it is, okay? Resentment, resistance, and rejection. Will you remember that? How about if we, we repeat it together one time, okay? Let's do it. Resentment, resistance, and rejection. In that order, look what happens when you have resentment. What happens when you have resentment? You have a feeling, an attitude, a thought, something that bothers you, something you don't like about this person, whatever the person did, okay, causes you to feel bad. And you keep that in your heart. And, and, and you can become frustrated, irritated with that particular person. That could be something small, could, something, could be something big. And if we do not resolve that issue, it becomes a root of bitterness, and I don't know if you have lived with a bitter person, but it's the most awful thing to live with a bitter person. It ruins the environment. It lives under a gloomy cloud of sadness and, 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 and anger. And it's, there's always an accusation for somebody. Same thing in the churches. If you have people that are resentful and, and bitter in the church, it's, it's a very negative influence in the church. And actually, resentment is the, the essence of Satan's spirit. When he started in heaven, he was an angel of light, Lucifer. And he eventually began keeping in his heart negative feelings, jealousy, envy, and that's resentment. And he led him to be who he is today. And um, when we allow that spirit to be in our hearts... He has a right to be there. He has a right to be in our hearts and from the abundance of the heart, you tell me, the mouth speaketh. And we say things that we should not say. We do things we should not do. Everything starts with that little seed of resentment inside us. Then it could be very small to begin with. I like somebody here, and I don't see many hands, maybe if I, yes. Can anybody give me an example of one little resentment that you have, and I'll repeat it here, okay? In your home, okay? Something small. Don't tell me anything big. Something small, little. Raise your hand. Give me something. Can I hear you? Somebody. I know everybody has something. What's that? Dishes. Okay. The dishes were not washed. Can you imagine? That's laziness, not wash dishes. So if a person is not washing dishes, it's because he's sort of lazy. And that's Satan in that person. But if you get upset because they did not wash dishes... Satan can get in your heart because you have resentment. Now Satan is in the lazy one and in the one that is upset. And if Satan is in both persons, what do you get? Trouble. So, you got resentment, you got problems. And immediately you move into the next one. What is the second R? Resistance. And when we have resistance, we put the brakes on. Immediately. It's amazing how the... The, the resistance, you can leave the light on. I think that we can still see it. 
Resentment, uh, resistance is uh, when we, instead of being open to love and just flow with the kindness and something special that God gives us, we sort of put the brakes on. And we don't, we don't love, okay? We just hold it back. We may say, yeah, later. You know, if you are resenting your wife, can you actually naturally get close to her and hold her and say, sweetheart, I love you so much. You are so precious to me. Can you honestly say that when you're resenting some, your wife? No, you cannot do it. The same thing happened with our children. Can you see? You see, you got a child that is eight years old, and he's resenting you for whatever reason. He's resenting you. Notice what happened. You want to go somewhere fast, okay? You are in a hurry. And you say to your child, hurry up, we're going to be late. Now, if he's resenting you, he's going to walk slower. <laughs> you, you, you will see that. He just goes slower because he's... And then we say, if you are not hurrying up, I'm going to give you a spanking. And the child runs and we feel good because he obeys me. The only thing you did was to change his behavior. You did not change his heart. Okay. There are so many things that build up in all of this. And uh, if we have resentment, resistance, we have rejection. And rejection begins to build up in our hearts. It's very small little things. We separate. We are not so close together. We begin having reasons to do things separate. And eventually, this rejection is caused by that accumulation of negative feelings and perceptions and thoughts that will eventually turn into basically two ways in which we reject. One is anger. Anger can turn into shouting, ugly words, or even physical abuse. Are you getting it? The other way in which we also express rejection is emotional apathy. We say, I don't care. Do whatever you want. I'll live my life, you live yours. Is this what is happening in the world today? Oh, yes. Is this, is this happening among our people in our churches? Yes. My dear ones, this is the work of Satan. We don't even realize because, you know, those who go through these three areas, these three R's, usually what they do is they blame the other person. They say, it's your fault. I'm a good person. I never get angry unless you make me angry. You will find that people that go through these three R's, they always have an excuse for the three R's. And the, the blame is on the other person. And you know where this takes you eventually, right? Divorce. And some people are not divorced legally, but they are divorced emotionally. Emotionally, They may be sitting in this church together, but there is no connection of the heart. And this is sad. I lived all these things myself. I began concentrating on resentment, resistance, rejection. Took years. Of course, I wanted to be a good pastor. I studied to be a pastor. 1969, I came to the States, and uh, we went to Andrews University together. I got my Master of Divinity. Went back to Argentina. I worked there. I worked hard. I wanted to be a successful pastor. So I worked hard, four years, and then I was invited to be a, a professor at the university. At the time, it was college. And I taught there four years, and we came back to the States to keep on studying. We went to Texas. And we were extremely successful. Abby wanted to be a good pastor's wife. I wanted to be a good pastor. We worked really hard. My churches, our churches always were the highest number of baptisms. But the only problem I had was my wife. You know? And I would keep these things in my heart. Of course, people did not realize that. Three and a half years after we were in Texas, we were, talk, we were working in English-speaking churches. And uh, they invited us to be the pastor for the university church in 
in Texas, Southwestern Adventist University. Almost 3,000 members, church. And um, I was feeling very proud of my accomplishments. I had, I had already finished another master, and I was working on my doctoral degree. And, of course, you know, here I am. And now that I was studying psychology, I could use professional words to describe, to show Alvi that it was her problem, not mine. <laughs> and uh, my heart was very hard. Not all the time. We were, you know, like most couples, we go through stages, you know. You get a conflict, and then you go, okay, and then you got another conflict. And those conflicts became more... Uh, B the bigger conflicts and shorter the distance between conflict and conflict. And, uh, but nobody knew, you know. And I was just keep on working. And Alvi was very depressed. Even though she worked hard, whenever we were in the church, we were working really hard, both of us. We really wanted to do God's will. God, why don't you change her? He would not listen to me. And um, eventually, I... I did not realize at the time, but my problem has been, always been pride. You see, that's the most common problem we have as human beings, is pride. Uh, and don't tell me you don't have that problem, because even the humble people are proud of, the hum of their humbleness. <laughs> Everybody has some kind of pride, okay? So we need to be aware of that. Jesus says, whoever exalts himself will be humble, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And I remember that there's another one here. It says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He will give you, uh, or he will, and he will give, lift you up. He will lift you up. You know, one day I came home angry with Alvi in that uh, church in Keene, Texas. And I was, I was angry. I don't know why. I was angry a lot of times. And I came to the house... And Alvi was cooking. It was Friday. And um, I did not realize she had been cooking, had a lot of things in the kitchen there. And on the end of the counter, she had a big dish, a glass dish full of devil eggs. And I came from the living room, and she had just washed the floor, and it was all wet and slippery. And I did not realize that, okay? So I want you to Im imagine this, because as soon as I came into the kitchen and I stepped on that floor, I slipped. But... This is not, not even Hollywood can recreate the whole thing, okay? My feet just went up in the air. I kicked the air, both feet forward, and my arms went like a helicopter blades, and I hit those, uh, that dish with the eggs, you know, but real hard, real hard. And the, and, and, and the dish just went, whoop, and the eggs flew all over the kitchen. There were pieces of egg even in the ceiling, you know, those popcorn ceilings. And, uh, of course, he broke into a thousand pieces on the floor. There were eggs everywhere. And as I hit it, I cut myself. I don't know how, but I have a, a, a big cut here under, under the elbow here. And, um, and I was bleeding on the floor, and I was so angry. And uh, I want to ask you a question. What spirit was in my heart at that very moment? Was it, the, was, was it God's spirit? You are, you are good at discerning the spirits when it's somebody else, Right? We need to be as good to discern the Spirit when it's in us, right? <laughs> but that's the problem. And this afternoon, we're going to talk specifically about that. How we can move in that life of the Spirit in a practical way and being able to discern the work of Satan, okay? And now I want Alvi to come and keep on the story because she has a lot to share. 
in connection with this experience, okay? So. Thank you. Um, I would like to read to you a message that I received from a, a man, 45 years old, that is staying in our house already for six months. And um, uh, he's a son of families from our church. Um, his name is Job. He has given me permission to, to share a little bit about him. Um, he would come in and go out. He knew the truth. He had a problem with cocaine. He was homeless for a long time. And uh, one night he came to prayer meeting and he was stoned. Uh, we pray over him, anointed him, and he was delivered for two years. Um, I would say continually to Joe, Joe, you need to be discipled. You need to change the ways you think, the patterns of thought. We need to explore the roots of where all this is coming from. And you need to fill in the house. You know, the Bible says that when a demon goes out and the house becomes clean and all the rest, but uh, if the house is empty, that demon will get seven more and the condition will be worse. And that's what happened with him. He was doing share him and he was happy. And I thought, oh man, wonderful. Be exalted, preaching the gospel, but the house is empty. Okay. And so he went down for two years. And once in a while I would find him and say, Joe, the day you are ready, we'll take you into our home. So one Friday, right after lunch, he called and he said, I'm ready. My husband, when he did... Imagine she asked me to go and bring a drug addict to our home <laughs> to live with us. Rene didn't know anything about this. He travels and whatever. And, um, but I learned one thing. The husband can get angry. But you need to do what God says you need to do. And right. that man needed a home. And I was praying that God would prepare the heart of my husband. I cannot do it. I cannot prepare his heart. But God can. And so when I said, oh, man, now I have to tell Renee, right? He doesn't know anything. I said, my love, you know, this is a story. And now Joe is ready to come. He just goes, what? And I kept on praying. And think, I, I, I thought it was going to be for three or four days. <laughs> so he went and got Joe. And uh, when Joe came, he was matted, filthy from living in the streets. Not I, but God took over my heart, my mind, my body. And he stretched my arms and I felt the love of God. Welcoming Joe. And God, the Father, said, Not I. Welcome home, son. And I said, Go, son, take a bath. And I'll get you some clean clothes from daddy. Isn't that cool? Oh, isn't this cool? Pastor talk about being in the school of Christ. The school of Christ is practical. I heard you saying, a uh, brother praying, Praising God for the pastor that teaches us truth. And we need the truth. 
with skin on. This is a message that Joe sent me last night. Let's see if I can quickly get it here. Because she's shown it. Our son is growing. The first night, demons were fighting him. He was screaming in his room. My husband prayed with him. But he would tell me, how long do we have to keep Joe here? Six months. And if it is a year or two, we don't care. It's just wonderful. Oh, man. Just bear with me because this is, this is needed and it's important. Okay. Here we go. He sent me this text message. It comes from Science of the Times, written by Mrs. White. We should not only take hold of the truth, but let the truth take hold of us. I hope it doesn't leave me here. Um, and thus have the truth in us and we in the truth. Now, if you understand, Jesus says, I am the truth, right? So truth is more than cognitive words. It's Jesus expressed through words. And he's the word. He's the truth. Okay. So he's talking about that. So, um, and if this is the case, that the truth is in us, our lives and characters will reveal the fact that the truth is accomplishing something for us, in us that it is sanctifying us and it is, and is giving us a moral fitness for the society of angels in heaven in the kingdom of glory. Are we ready? We are in kindergarten in the school of Christ. The truth we hold is from heaven and when the religion, this religion finds a lodgment in the heart it commences its work of refining and purifying. For the religion of Jesus Christ never makes a man rough or rude. It never makes him careless or hard-hearted. But the truth of heavenly origin, that which comes from God elevates and sanctifies a man. It makes him courteous, kind, affectionate, and pure. It takes away his hard heart, his selfishness and love of the world, and it purifies him from pride and ungodly desires. How do you like that? This is found in Sense of the Time, Volume 1, page 66. Okay, let's go to the practical. Folks, I shared last night that I was born in a Christian home, an Adventist Christian home, and I was told that I was a child of God and that I needed to be like Jesus, but I had discovered that I could not be like Jesus. I tried. I made effort. Every morning I asked him. We had devotions morning and evenings, and it was fantastic, except that at night I would cry because, again, I failed the Lord. So I developed a very super sensitive conscience to the fact that I could never make it. How many of you have felt that way? Wow. And there is a lot of discouragement in, among the people of God, right? Why? Because we have felt that 
Now I know the truth. I have to run and change behavior. We did not get the message that the truth should lead us to the impossibility of creating a new nature. And we need to go to Jesus Christ to receive the new nature. Everything needs to come from Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Thank God Jesus died to pay himself the price to buy us back from the kingdom of the devil. Eliminate the, the nature of Satan in us and implant in us a divine nature. I like that. I'm so excited about the gospel. Because it's a simple gospel. And you know... For a long time, I couldn't just find fun and delight in trying to be like Jesus. But I have to, to understand the 2,300 years and the issue of the sanctuary and this and that. And all of a sudden, I go, oh, it's so simple. Everything about the sanctuary is Jesus is the holy one and the heavenly sanctuary and all of that. But he also calls me a temple, a sanctuary. And the cleansing of the sanctuary is the cleansing of me with the presence of Jesus Christ inside of me. Make it simple. And right now we are living in a glorious time. The time of repentance and confession and letting God take over our lives. But you know, when I would t t tell my husband, you know, the Lord talked to me. He says, are you crazy? Are you hearing voices? Only schizophrenics do that. You think you're Mrs. White? No, but I want to be like Jesus. And I'm finding in the Bible, don't talk about that. People are going to think you're crazy. And man, what God would give me through his word. My pastor husband was taking it away. And he was saying, you're such a horrible woman. You're the worst woman in the world. Not even the devil. Well, okay. Not even God can change you. You're like the devil. And then I had to go to church and listen to his sermons. And he preached so nice and everybody adored him. And I couldn't like him. My love was gone. And my prayer was, as a, as a little girl in the school of Christ, in kindergarten, Pastor, I was saying, Lord, teach me how to love my husband because I cannot love him anymore. And so now, let's continue with the story. He's on the floor. You see, I have work all day. I'm not bitter about it. But the truth is, I have a shorter leg than the other one. I have scoliosis. When I stand and work in the kitchen, my back begins to get twisted and hurt and hurt. And after hours of cleaning and hours of cooking and all of that, I'm hurting to the point that I want to scream. I want to take a bath and lay down. And finally, after cooking all day and cleaning, the next day we were going to have a lunch in our home. With the elders, 99 of them. <laughs> Plus wives and the rest, you know. My husband doesn't ask if he can help. No volunteering with anything. He comes at the end of the day angry, and I don't know why, but it's the custom to be angry. Like he said, the honeymoon periods are shorter. The abusive angry periods are much longer. And he comes angry and makes this big mess. 
how would you have felt? The question, Lord, what do you want me to do? It's a prayer that the Holy Spirit taught me to pray. He would pray that prayer, Lord, in humility. What do you want me to do? And that day, the Holy Spirit immediately said, go and take care of the children. You see, when children grow up in homes where there is abuse, children suffer tremendously. And it's our responsibility to have peaceful homes so our children don't have to, be, to live flooded with adrenaline and fear and lack of love and security. So I went and spent a little time with my children, calming them down, and I returned to the kitchen. Do you know where my husband was? Right there on the floor where I had left him. He was so mad, so angry that he could not get up. Bleeding, glass, and his eyes were like fiery, demonic eyes looking at me. Probably thinking, yes, I did it, but it's all your fault. And the question, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord says, bind his wounds. And I can tell you that I, I'm a nurse and I can do it. But the binding on the wounds, when, when the Father, God, the Holy Spirit, whoever spoke to me, bind the wounds, came, bind the wounds with love and kindness and grace and mercy. And I don't have that, but when God speaks, he gives you what he speaks because God is the creator. He's the word. So he tells you, you are open, he'll give you what he tells you. So he gave me the tenderness. It wasn't me, God. So took care of him. And then he left. Now we have to clean the kitchen, Right? I would like to ask the men, who is supposed to clean this specific mess? The men. Oh, we have a lawyer here, right? <laughs> Legally. <laughs> who should clean that mess? I think it's, it's a mutual responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody? Are you with me? Who is really supposed? You thank you so much. You make the mess, you clean it, right? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Let's have it clear. This is black and white. If you make the mess, you clean it. But Jesus Christ is not the way. When we make the mess, he comes down to clean it. And my husband left, and I said, what do I do? He says, now you clean. But not with resentment, not with anger, not with murmuring, not with grudging. Whatever you do, you do it as unto the Lord, joyfully. Who said amen? Yeah, I want more amens. Is this easy? Is this hard? It's not easy. It's hard more than that. It is impossible except for the grace of Jesus Christ. So the, the, the kitchen got clean. I mean, even to the ceiling, egg yolk up there. 
Remember, I was so tired, I couldn't take it anymore. But God renews our strength according to the need, if we trust him. Years went by, and things were getting worse. Um, The depression was settling very strong to the point that demonic powers were playing with my mind. Just like my husband was saying, there is no hope for you. Not even God can change you. I felt I could never be good enough for God. I could never be good enough for my husband. And now the devil was saying, you will never make it with either one. So curse God and kill yourself. But I would hear a little tiny voice that would say, I don't want the death of anyone. I want you to live. So, Lord, what do you want me to do? Ask for my spirit of life and light and love. And I would ask the Lord, baptize me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit to the point, Lord, that I can get up in the morning when I cannot get up myself. That I can smile when I cannot smile anymore. That I can wash dishes when I cannot wash dishes anymore. Resurrect me to a new life, Lord. You had it. I need it. Without you, I perish. And then one night, a miracle happened. And now you have to take, it is 120 already? No, 1220. 1220. Man, scary. Um, Now you need to take this by faith. Probably is the time for you to go, but this is so powerful. I had such an encounter with the Lord, with God, that changed my life. I went to sleep in the midst of hell, but really, really deep in my soul, I have a faith and a trust in God. And I knew that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of my ancestors, my God, when he promised something, he fulfills his promises. Sooner or later, it may be later than sooner, but in the process there is a reason. He wants us to really want him so, so much that we commit our whole heart. Sometimes when he answers, you know, we just throw the blessing. And so... I went to sleep in the midst of hell, peacefully, thanking God, because one day he would fill me with his spirit. He would give me a new life. And all of a sudden, I woke up, and inside of me, the waking up energy and presence was praying, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I said, yes, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the one that prayed with me said, I'll be turned over and gently caress Renee's back. I don't get it, Lord. I have turned back. I have caressed his back many times. I reach out to him. But he doesn't want me to touch him. And besides that, oh, I sense the tenderness of the Lord tenderly caress his back and I said Lord this is not right you are, you are asking me to caress his back with that divine tenderness and I don't have it how can it be it's not just 
Because you have said, when you don't have, ask and you will receive. And I have been asking you for tenderness, for all that that has died. And you have not given it to me. Wouldn't it be better if you wake Renee up? Why don't you tell him? Renee, you, you, you preach very nice, but you don't live in the home. You, you, you pretend you're a good pastor, but the problem is here you need to be a good husband. Uh, why don't you wake him up and tell him, turn over and massage her back. She's hurting. After all, he has no problem seeing his back. I do. I don't have a hard heart. If he touches my back and says, I'm so sorry you're hurting. Oh, my heart melts. But he has a hard heart. <laughs> God doesn't argue. But he explains things. He said, Alvi, I don't wake Renee up. Because he thinks he's a perfect man. He doesn't see his need to change. He thinks you are the problem. So he goes to sleep with false peace. And I left him be. But since you are a little child, you have been crying out to me, Lord, change me. I want to be like you. And you have been crying out and crying out because you have seen your need. And today I have come to live in your heart, the holy of holiest of the human, human temple. So, Alvi, turn over and gently caress Renée's back. And I said, Papa, I can't. I'm paralyzed. How many of you have felt paralyzed? That you want to, but you can't. There's a deadness there. There is something holding you back, captives of Satan. And he said, I know you cannot. But you know what? It's when you cannot, when you don't have anything to give. Can you change to the next one? That by grace you have freely received. By grace you freely grieve. Give me the next one. You have, when you have nothing to give, ask me, and I will give you more than you can imagine. Why? Because he'll give us himself. Isn't that beautiful? What a love affair with our God, our creator, our redeemer, and the Holy Spirit. What a beauty. I will supply all your needs according to my riches in glory, the fullness of his glory, Jesus Christ, my only hope of tenderness for Rene. Isn't that beautiful? And then he said, Avi, you may say this is too hard. If Rene doesn't confess his faults and all of that, I'm not going to do it. If you say no to me, I will leave your heart. I will stay with you, and I will keep on knocking at the door of your heart, crying, because I see you adultering with the spirit of Satan, a spirit of death. And when God spoke, he convicted me 
of my sin, a sin of adultery. Me, adultery with the devil. Me, so filthy and dirty in the presence of God. A Seventh-day Adventist Christian kid. Lord, I said I didn't know. I'm so sorry. Thank you for revealing that to me. I don't want it, Lord, anymore. And I raised my hand and made a, a covenant. Lord, I want you. Don't leave me. And uh, as I raised my hand, the Holy Spirit rejoiced. He says, oh, my beloved kid. And pronounced these words, Alvi, love. And when God speaks, God Say it. When God speaks, what, God, what does God do? He creates. When God speaks, if you're listening and you're open, he creates. And when he said, I'll be love, what did I feel? A tsunami of divine love inside of me. A love for human beings that I never experienced before. And my mind was filled with faces, faces from the time of Jesus, faces of different races, people, Tongues, everything. And God would say, Alvi, love the rich, love the poor, love the white, love the black. Love those that are intelligent, those that don't have it all together. Love those that are mean, those that are sweet. Don't make a difference. You human beings, what you like, you love. What you don't like, you don't love. I don't make a difference. Love everybody. Love those men that are grotesque and rude and... And that beat their wives and that are homosexuals and that are drunkards, they are homeless. And you guys look at them with repulsiveness. Alvi, they are my kids. They are captive of Satan. Love them. Look at their eyes and say, you are a wonderful person. And the devil will tell you, oh, no, they are not. Alvi, it doesn't matter what they do or don't do. They are my creation and I want you to declare with your mouth. What I say about every human being, you are marvelous, wonderfully, fearfully created. And look at their eyes, bypass the eyes, go to the heart, and speak to the heart and say, you are marvelous. You are wonderful. Repeat it until they believe. Oh, what a joy to look in the eyes of Joe. So beaten up by the devil, so repulsed, the whole family rejecting him. And say, you are so precious, Joe. You're so precious. In crying, he will say, thank you, mama. It's free. The love of God got in his heart. And now he don't want to sin anymore. The devil got him captive when he was a little kid. A six, seven years old, drawing him to books of immoral ways. I don't want to even talk about things. But oh, the devil is so filthy. And in the love of God, Joe can bring all this to the Lord and present himself before Jesus. And he's being purified, sanctified, cleansed, and joyfully live for the Lord. And so the Lord is saying, love the women, all women in the world. Those precious little girls that are born and Often, more often than not, when they're growing in their homes, they are beaten up. They are sexually abused. They are told that they are good for nothing. They try to run away from their homes, get involved with others, have babies before they know 
how to take care of babies. They killed them. I'll be looking at women in their eyes and tell them, you have so much value. You're so special. And repeat it until they believe. Reminded me of my husband. How beautiful he had created him. How his father, also a minister, left the mother when he was 10 years old and went away with another woman. How the pain was too much for him as a child to process, so he learned to play. And all that anger that he felt as a little boy was still inside, and now I was getting it. Be patient, Avi. I can change all things. And with this, I'm not saying that we need to stay in abusive relationships. It's okay to separate if need be, especially if you have children. And then, all of a sudden, this horrible other spirit took over my life. Until that moment, it was Jesus and I, God and I, the Holy Spirit and I, one. And now it was the opposite spirit. The one I have fought as a little girl, the one that said, go ahead and lie Go ahead and cheat. Disobey your parents. Oh, don't do it. Who cares? The one I hated now took over. And the devil was I. And the devil was in me. And it was so horrible. And that presence was mocking God and saying, So, God told you to turn over and gently caress. Rene. Woman, have dignity. The law of this land is eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Nothing of turning over and caressing his back. Go ahead and get your hand down. And when the devil speaks, he creates what he says. Have you heard him? Have you felt him? Just get your hands down on his back, scratch his skin, make him bleed, get his flesh out, make him feel what he made you feel in your soul. It was so horrible. It was so demonic. I was so possessed, so taken over. And I cried out, Lord, who will deliver me of this body of death? And he stopped. And God spoke. Every human being that is born on this earth, every baby that is conceived in the womb of the mother, he said, is conceived with this last spirit inside. Do you believe that? In sin, my mother conceived me. We read it today in chapter 51 of Psalms. And my spirit has contained the power of the devil or else the human race would have destroyed itself. Do you believe that? But then God said... Time is no more. I'm about to come. Those who choose in the little things of life, in the little transactions, in the relationships at home, with the family, with others, with strangers, those who choose to live guided and filled of my spirit, those will be sealed with the Holy Spirit and nothing will be able to pluck them out of my hand. Those. 
Though they go to church, keep the Sabbath, pay offerings and tithe, give tithes and offerings and to missionary work, but choose not to love as I love, which is the ultimate act of worship. This will be sealed with the spirit of Satan and will be capable of killing those that choose to love as I love. Choose today whom you will serve. And I said, Lord, with you forever. And I made a covenant to a marriage relationship with my heavenly husband. And at that moment, he said, you are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. You will be tested by fire. And if you persevere and let me live in you and through you, and if you fall, you repent and turn to me. One day, your husband and you will be telling, sharing a testimony about me and who I want to be in people's lives and how much I love them and how much I want to joy them and joy them by having this incredible, divine, pure love affair. And through them flow to bring others, draw others unto me. It is a miracle that Remy and I are here. And it's the fulfillment of the mystery of Christ Jesus Christ in me, my only hope of glory. Not I, but him. And then the council, go back to the other one. The invitation to follow peace with everybody. And holiness. This holiness is the holiness of love and joy and the adoration without which we cannot see our Lord. And now the next one. So look diligently so you don't fall short of what? Short of all that he wants to give us. The grace. Do not allow any what? Root of bitterness to spring up because this root of bitterness will cause trouble and will cause many to become defiled. Um, there's a lot of confession that we need to do, right? Because the call is repent. That your sins can be blotted out. Can we have the next one, Renee? The invitation, the command of Jesus Christ for us today is love, bless, the good, pray. And we'll be tested on this time and time again. The next one, please. If you, my precious children, who are called by my name, humble yourselves and pray, asking me for my spirit and seek my face and turn from your wicked and loving ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive your sin of adultery with Satan. See? And I will heal your land, and the land is the inner sanctuary.
God is here to do exactly that. And I would say that uh, it would be important for us to respond to God. I'm sure that in our hearts we have something we'd like to say to him, right? Maybe we cannot all speak at the same time. But Jesus is here through his spirit. He's trying to heal us. I don't know how you feel, what you feel about your own life. But I do know that I always have something that the Lord still wants to heal in my life. Don't you feel the same way? I want to invite you, if you feel that you have something specific in your mind and in your heart, something you want the Lord to heal, some relationship you want Him to, to heal, to strengthen, to, to make pure, I'd like to invite you to stand up and come, and we'll pray here in the front. And we'll let the Lord heal us. Just a moment. But if you feel in your heart that you have something that you want to bring to the Lord for healing, get up and come. Let's respond to the Lord. Come unto me, and I will give you rest. Let my river of waters flow, that you may become like a tree planted by the rivers of waters, whose leaves never fade or fall. Join us again next time for the Word of God which will feed the soul. I am committed to bring you the fullness of the gospel as Jesus has revealed it to us in order to prepare a people for his soon coming.